is religion the opium of the people? Today, we're talking about the start of Marxism. Hello, I'm Loralee Siemens, and this is the Church History Podcast. June of 2019, we started this podcast with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have traveled through time, following the church as it grew, from a few people praying in a room together to a worldwide movement. We watched as the church became corrupted and married the government. We learned about the Crusades, the Inquisition, and so much more. We've seen the church rise up and fight for freedom, ending slavery, building orphanages, and traveling around the world to bring the true gospel of freedom and salvation. We've heard the story of new countries being formed, wars, and many new denominations. For the last few months, we have been in the 1800s, because this was a century where the world changed drastically and the church was part of this change. Today we're talking about a philosophy that was formed that was in opposition to the church, to Christianity, and really to religion in general. This philosophy has infiltrated most of the world today and, unfortunately, has become part of our modern church. We can't cover church history without talking about Karl Marx and the Marxist philosophy. On May the 5th, 1818, Heinrich and Henriette had a son. The baby was born in the kingdom of Prussia. Heinrich and Henriette were Jewish by blood, but did not practice Judaism. Before their son was born, the couple had converted to Christianity. This was a huge step for the family. Henriette had grown up in the home of a rabbi, but Heinrich, he was in line to be rabbi. His father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all rabbis. For this couple to declare Jesus was and is the Messiah the Jews had been waiting for was not a small thing. Heinrich had also taken the step of getting an education and becoming a lawyer. The couple had walked away from everything their families had believed in. The young couple named their son Karl, and the family lived in middle class. They were part of the Evangelical Church of Prussia. The family spoke Yiddish. It was a cross between German and Hebrew. By the time Carl was born, the law business was very successful, and the family was living in more of an upper middle class. Carl was the third child of the family, and the couple would eventually have nine children. But just one year after Carl was born, his older brother Mortz died, and Carl became the oldest son, leaving him next in line to the family money. In the summer of 1824, at the age of six, Carl and all of his siblings were baptized into the Lutheran Church. That winter, their mother was also baptized into the Lutheran Church. Carl's father homeschooled the children until Carl was 12 years old. Then, Carl was sent to a school called the Gymnasium of Trier. Carl's father felt good about sending Carl to the school because it was his friend who was running the school. But the school was very controversial. You see, Hugo Weibach, the friend of Carl's father who ran the school, hired teachers who were humanists, and this caused problems with the government, who were conservative at the time. In 1832, 
Two years into Carl's education, the school was raided by the police, and books about political liberalism was taken from the school. The school was then forced to replace the liberal teachers with conservative teachers. The students were also forced to write biblical commentaries in order to graduate from the school. Carl wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John. By the time he graduated from school at the age of 17, Carl had a lot of biblical knowledge, but he also had conflicting feelings about religion in general. His family had been controversial with his father not following the line of rabbis and converting to Christianity. His school had forced Christianity on its students and taken books with conflicting ideas out of the school and fired teachers who did not say what the church and the government wanted them to say. The year of Karl Marx being 17 was a very influential year of his life. He was supposed to join the army at the age of 18. However, because he was sick often, he did have a chance of being excused. So he was working on getting excused from military duty. He also visited universities and decided he wanted to go to school to study philosophy and literature. But when he talked to his dad about that, his dad refused to allow him to do it. He said the study of philosophy was useless. He would study law. That way, he could make money and take care of his family. So, he was forced to abandon his schooling dream because his family wanted him to make money. Finally, at the age of 18, he was excused from military and sent to Berlin for university to study law. And this was a turning point for him. He joined a poets club and became involved in a radical political movement. After a year at the university, Karl had become so involved in the political movement he actually ended up getting involved in a duel. His father was so angry he pulled him out of that university. Carl's grades were low even though he was very smart, and his father thought he was wasting his life and involved in bad movements. So he sent him to the University of Berlin, hoping for a more academic approach to university study. During this time, while he was in university, Carl joined a group called the Young Anglins. You could compare this group to today's social justice groups, such as BLM. They are very similar approaches to activism. Are you enjoying this podcast? Do you want to support this podcast? Well, pour yourself a cup of coffee and imagine waking up each morning with a reminder from our church fathers. Check out our Etsy page where you can find mugs with quotes from great men and women of God. You'll find a link in the show notes. And now back to our episode. In 1838, Carl's father died, and this impacted his life. He was devastated by his father's death. He began to write. He wrote stories, novels, and even plays. He especially loved to write poetry. None of these writings were published until after his death. He saw himself, though, as a gifted writer. He learned to write and read English and Latin, and he studied art and history. Carl did stay very organized in his political movements. He also started to take his education more seriously, and he also became romantically involved with a young lady named Jenny von Westphalen. Carl and Jenny had known each other since childhood. Jenny, though, was from a family of nobility. She was extremely well-educated, very wealthy, and part of the elite society. Jenny was engaged to an aristocrat and was supposed to marry and continue the nobility line. After she broke that engagement in order to be with Carl, her family was not happy. While Carl was from a wealthy family, he was not nobility. 
At first, the relationship caused a huge rift in the family. Jenny's father, Ludwig van Westphalen, did not approve of Carl. However, after a few years, Carl was able to win Ludwig over, and he eventually did approve of the relationship. Carl wrote many poems dedicated to Jenny, and these poems were published after his death. In 1841, he finished his doctoral thesis. In his thesis, he wrote that theology had to yield to the superior wisdom of philosophy. By this point, he had completely rejected Christianity. He also rejected the elitist society and wrote that the church was its twin sister. The University of Berlin found his doctrinal essay to be controversial. The conservative professors at the Berlin University rejected it. So, Karl submitted it to the University of Jena, known for being more liberal, and they gave him his doctorate degree. Imagine it's the summer of 1841. You are walking the streets of Berlin. It's late, and you're headed home. You hear a noise. Something loud is coming towards you. You step aside on the street and lean against a wall. It's the wall of a large church. Then you see donkeys galloping down the street. They're being ridden by men who are drunk and laughing. One falls off the donkey and they stop to help him, laughing and cursing. They don't see you, but you see and hear them. They are cursing God, mocking the church and laughing. That was how Carl and his friends celebrated. They got drunk, rode donkeys, mocked and laughed at Christianity. Seven years after Carl and Jenny were engaged, they were finally married. June 19, 1843, in a Protestant church in Germany, Carl and Jenny were married. The city was beautiful. It was a romantic city, known for its stunning bridges. Buildings were built on the bridge. And today, tourists come to this city just to visit these bridges. In this beautiful, romantic town, in a large Protestant church, Carl and Jenny were married. Carl had moved now from upper middle class to nobility. Carl continued to study law, but he also studied philosophy, what he originally wanted to study. He was part of a group called the Young Heligans. The group wrote and spoke against established society. They hated religion, politics, and everything that was expected of you by society. Carl no longer believed in even the existence of God. He believed the idea of God was irrational. In fact, this is what he wrote. However, what does all this say except that to him, to whom the world is irrational, and who is therefore himself irrational, God is? Or, irrationally, is that the existence of God? Carl got a job working as a journalist, and that's when he met a man named Frederick. Frederick had written a book called The Conditions of the Working Class in England. The two men worked together to write what became known as the Communist Manifesto. This is what he wrote. Religion is the sign of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of the soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. One year after his marriage, the young couple welcomed a little girl into their family. Jenny was born. One year after Jenny was born, Carl was kicked out of France, and the family moved to Brussels. In 1846, when Jenny was just two years old, Carl created the Communist Correspondence Committee with Frederick Ingalls, and that was the start of the Communist Party. A year later, in 1847, 
they began to give lectures to the workers in the factories. They started the League of the Just. If you were living in the factory districts in 1847, you would hear the chant, Workers of the World Unite. This was the start of the Communist Revolution. One year later, the French Revolution started. We did a whole episode on the French Revolution, and you can go back and hear that. Karl returned to France to help with the revolution. He wrote pamphlets, and he gave them out. His pamphlet was called The Class Struggles in France. It was this same year that the Communist Manifesto was officially published. Do you love learning about church history and love this podcast? This podcast is being turned into a book series, and the first book is now available for sale. You can find the link in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. Karl Marx and the French Revolution, these were reactions to real injustices and poverty. But what was the church doing to help this? Well, George Mueller opened his first orphanage in the same year. We did two episodes on Mueller's life that you can go back and listen to. This was also the year Harriet Tubman took her first guided trip to help a family escape slavery and arrive in Canada as a free family. Next week, I'm going to tell you the whole story of Harriet Tubman. The church did see the problems that needed to be addressed. Carl's answer was to give power to the people by taking power from the elite. His answer also meant to end Christianity. He believed the church was using Christianity to control the people. The church and religion had to be destroyed in order for the people to be free. During this time period, revolutions were starting all across Europe. It had only been 60 years since the American Revolution, but there was also the Latin American Wars of Independence in the 1820s. And the 1830s and 40s, there was many revolutionary wars to end feudalism. Because of this, any writings that sounded like they were trying to start a revolution were seen as harmful. Karl was kicked out of Germany, and then kicked out of France, and then kicked out of the United States, and eventually moved to London. Karl was notorious for being disgustingly dirty. He was filthy, and he was an unpleasant person to be around. He hated taking baths and refused to have his hair trimmed. He installed in factory workers the belief that factories themselves were evil and the money and power should belong to the workers and not to the owners. He believed factories should be shut down. Interestingly enough, Carl had grown up in home where his father was not only a lawyer, but he also owned factories as well. The money that he had after his father's death, much of it came from factories. So the funding of his novels, The Communist Manifesto, would not have been written without capitalism. Imagine with me that it's June 24, 1855. You are at Hyde Park. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Over 50,000 people have gathered, and more are arriving. Within a few hours, 200,000 people are going to be in this park. People are shouting, God save the Queen. But the shouts are not a joyous celebration of the Queen. The shouts are angry because the crowd hates the Queen. They hate nobility, and they hate God and the church. People are talking about a bill, and that is what brought everyone here. The Sunday trading bill. There will now be no more shopping allowed on Sundays. 
And this is why you have come. This is why everybody here has come. People are setting up booths to sell, even though it is a Sunday, and the police are everywhere. Suddenly you hear someone say, let's go to the road, to the carriages. Suddenly people are taking the carriages from the rich. The police are stopping them and arresting them, and more police are arriving, and what started out as a fun afternoon starts to unravel around you. This was the first protest, but many more happened after this one. That day, June 24th, 1855, was a start of many protests. It was just four years after these protests started that Darwin wrote his book, and we did an episode on Darwin that you can go back and listen to. Then in 1861, the American Civil War started, and three years later, Carl started the International Workmen's Association, and this was the first international communist party. Two years after starting that group, the American Civil War ended. From 1861 until 1875, Carl published four major books. Ironically, none of his books would have been published without capitalist funding. In 1881, Carl's wife Jenny died, and two years later, Carl died. Karl Marx's philosophy incorporates elements of history, economics, and politics. People who follow Karl Marx's teachings must only view the bad aspects of their history in order for this philosophy to succeed. They must imagine themselves as victims. Either they must demand justice for themselves as victims, or they must accept defeat. And today, Marxism has become a part of Western education, and unfortunately, even our churches. According to Karl Marx's teaching, we should labor solely for the pleasure of it. We should regard ourselves as great and significant individuals, with no one job being more important than another job. We should go to work just for fun. We shouldn't own anything, and the government should own all the businesses and pay us the Communist Party was founded on Karl Marx's principles, and in 1917, with the formation of the Soviet Union, the Russian Revolution came to an end, and finally, Karl Marx's theories were put into practice. Two leaders that would really take his theory and make it reality were Lenin and Stalin. Lenin killed 30,000 people, while Stalin killed 7 million people. But the Soviet Union was just getting started. Around 20 million people were killed by the Soviet Union. They also killed around 5,000 Ukrainians. But communist China? That was even worse. Over 60 million people were killed under communist China. Canada, right now where I live, has a little over 36 million people. So to put that in perspective, imagine if every single Canadian was killed, and that would only be half of the people who were killed by communist China. And then there's Pol Pot in Cambodia. Under communism, he killed 1.7 million people. In North Korea, communism killed 1.6 million people. In Yugoslavia, 1.2 million people were killed by communists. There's also entire countries who have become slaves. Russia, North Korea, China, Vietnam, Cuba, many parts of Eastern Europe, Central Asia. Looking at Karl Marx, we can understand how people may have been influenced by his ideas during his lifetime. But today, today we can look back at history and we can see what happens when his philosophy is put into action. 
so there's no excuse for following his teaching today. Now, the Bible does teach us that we need to care about people, that we should fight for injustice, that we should take care of the poor, that we should be fair with our wages. But the Bible puts a solution for the world at the foot of the cross. It's when we confess our sins, trust Jesus alone to rescue us from sin, that we find true freedom. It is when we help others out of the love for Jesus Christ that the world will see true freedom and justice. We can compare the outcome of George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, Mary Slessor, Harriet Tubman, William Wilberforce, William Carey, with the outcome of Karl Marx. Those fighting for justice under the love of Jesus Christ had a much different outcome than the fighting for justice under anger, jealousy, and hatred. The church must reject the teachings of Karl Marx while embracing the teachings of George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, Mary Slessor, Harriet Tubman, William Wilberforce, and William Carey, and so many more. We must know the history of the men and women that the world is supporting, and we must know the history of the men and women of our church history. There are so many great examples that we can follow. Next week, I'm going to tell you the story of Harriet Tubman, and you're not going to want to miss that. So for more podcasts, to read some blogs, to check out some videos, head on over to lauraleesiemens.com and I'll see you next week.